eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We're going to be breaking down Florida's Loss on the road at LSU, the first loss for the season for the Gators after a 10-game winning streak spanning all the way back to last year. Blake, the you know the Gators had been on quite a little tear here, uh, had gotten all the way up into the top seven nationally, and I think people were extremely, extremely excited about this group. Um, maybe there were some question marks about whether or not LSU was fully legitimate heading into this game. You know, the Tigers hadn't really played a whole lot of good defenses coming off that performance against Auburn. I think a lot of people thought, that, you know, this Florida defense was really going to have a chance to get to Joe Burrow and affect him and maybe really, you know, show the Tigers something they hadn't seen all year defensively. That's not really how it panned out. You know, as the game kind of developed, we realized that one Florida maybe didn't quite have the depth that we expected in terms of overall quality, uh, but also that this LSU team was really good for you, Blake. Where was this game kind of decided at the end of the day? You know, I think it was probably I have two answers, I think. And I think the first one, it was decided in the trenches. Um, I think whenever you look at how Florida really still struggled to run the ball, I know there were some QB runs that that were successful. But I think overall, the body of work, I think Florida still struggled to run the ball. On the flip side, LSU hasn't really run the ball all season. Um, in terms of numbers, they haven't really attempted a lot compared to maybe past years. Um, but they also hadn't really had a lot of success. And I think that in the trenches there, um, that, that's where they had a lot of success. But I also think, too, the game was also lost for Florida in the fourth quarter because throughout all of these depth issues, injuries, Florida still was in the game. The offense kept them in the game a lot more than I even thought. I thought this game, um, I, I was a little bit more surprised with Florida's offensive. Uh, you know, just, I, I mean, I predicted them to get 17 points, man. I was way off. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I think in the fourth quarter, Florida's defense really, just the injuries really, it, things started to kind of get out of hand there, whereas Florida has really kind of shined on having really successful fourth quarters to kind of put the game away. I thought that this was the first game that I've seen um, in quite some time where Florida really did not control the fourth quarter. Yeah, and I, I'll say to Florida's credit, I mean, this was a game that until, you know, that interception in the end zone in the middle of the fourth quarter was right there for the taking. Now, you felt sure. like the momentum shifted a little bit after halftime. You know, obviously, you know, Florida went in. Even at the break, comes out, scores first. Uh, you feel pretty good about things. And then, you know, LSU finally, you know, you just realized Florida wasn't really getting the stops it needed. Um, like you said, this game was not at all what I expected. You know, I thought we had a pretty good handle on the Auburn game in terms of, you know, what we predicted on our podcast going in. I was way off on this one because I thought, 
You know, I thought Florida was going to have a hard time winning this one, but the reason I thought they were going to have a hard time winning was because of the offense. And I'll say Kyle Trask, man, he really, really put on a show. He impressed me a whole lot um, because for all intents and purposes, that environment really, I never really felt like the environment got to Florida. And I know talking to players and, and, you know, Coach Dan Mullen after the game, none of them felt like the environment really got to them. At the end of the day, it just came down to, you know, when they needed the big play in the fourth quarter to really kind of put their stamp on the game, they couldn't get it. You know, Joe Burrow was the guy that made the plays, and Florida's defense did not rise to the occasion. And, you know, eventually Kyle Trask wasn't able to make the play, but for the most part, I don't see how you can look at Kyle Trask or even really the Florida offense and really have much, much fault with those guys because I thought they played an excellent game. You know, maybe LSU's defense isn't quite the level of Tigers units we've seen in the past, but you're still playing in an extremely hostile road environment. You were playing exactly in that scenario that I thought Florida had to avoid, where LSU got ahead late in the game and you were you were having a press. And even the way it unfolded, I, I didn't feel like it was necessarily panic by Florida that caused you know the, the eventual turnover and, and the inability to keep up. Uh, really, it was just Kyle Trask tried to make a play and you know he kind of slightly missed a throw, but you'll live with that at the end of the day. I think what you can't live with is what you saw defensively. Um, and I, I'm sure we'll talk about the injuries and all that, but for me, I was extremely disappointed seeing LSU just marched up and down the field. I mean, what did they average? 10.4 yards per play, 10.6, something like that. I mean, Blake, that is absolutely absurd. If, if I told you that number, you would have thought Florida would have lost by 50. Yeah, you know, I thought that Florida's defense, man, I know we'll get into the injuries later, but they're just not the same whenever you have those two guys on the edge missing. So I think that that probably added to the continued of, you know, LSU success. I, I think it, with those guys, I think you're going to have more than zero sacks on the quarterback. I, I just, I, that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they, Joe Burrow just had all the time in the world back there to just pick them apart. And I think that, uh, you know, Florida's defense, you know, I, I think the linebackers also struggle a little bit too in that coverage, but I mean, that's hard, man. You're covering a really deep wide receiver group for LSU and you're not having a, you know, quarterback with any, any pressure. So, I mean, he had all day back there, just kind of picked them apart. Yeah, I got to say, you know, I we talked a lot about LSU's offense before the game because obviously a lot of Florida fans going in felt like LSU hadn't played anybody. And you look at the defenses they had played statistically and you can you can understand that argument. You could you could see where people would get that idea. I came out of there Saturday night thinking, wow, Joe Brady really brought the Saints offense to LSU. Now they don't have Drew Brees, but man, I got to say Joe Burrow was really really good, man. They just continually spread the field. He found matchups when they were open, and the ability to hit those against Florida's corners, I think, is what really opened up the run game. You know, I, I think that the fact that Florida had to kind of spread the field and and really help out in coverage a little bit opened some lanes. And then LSU give them give them a bunch of credit; they block things extremely well up front. You know, you just mentioned the linebackers. I thought more than anything, the thing that stood out to me was the linebackers didn't have many chances to make plays. You know, one of the biggest reasons David Reese is you know was leading the SEC in tackles going into this game is because Florida's defensive tackles have really, by and large, done a great job of occupying double teams and really kind of eating space up front so that Reese can run downhill and get in the gaps and make plays. And if you watch LSU's run game, that was the biggest thing, is they're running through holes between those tackles, and both linebackers were getting hit by offensive guards. So they're completely out of the play. And LSU was into the secondary before you know Florida even had a chance to do anything. So tip of the cap to LSU, man. They really came in. They executed very well. You know, obviously they handled, you know, their home environment very well. They managed to, you know, kind of build momentum on that wherever they could. And, you know, Florida played a great 
first three quarters, I thought, and LSU just kind of never really faltered. They never really made the mistake that would have kept Florida in the game. And and I also thought Florida's, you know, Florida's DB struggled a little bit. You know, we knew LSU's receivers were capable of winning some one-on-ones. But to me, it wasn't even so much one-on-ones that they won where, you know, they were just going up and winning 50-50 balls. It was scheme. You know, LSU really schemed very well to get guys open. I remember the, um, you know, the wheel route that burned C.J. Henderson for a touchdown was just great play design. You know, in Florida, you know, Dan Mullen said after the game, two guys didn't communicate it right. They didn't pass it off. But at the end of the day, you have C.J. Henderson running into his own guy, and you've got a guy streaking free down the sideline. So a lot of, a lot of credit to LSU. They had a great game plan coming in. Um, but that's for me, those are kind of the negatives. Blake, what were some of the positives you take away from this game? Because Florida did handle the road environment very well, and I thought there were several areas where you could at least say, okay, we can build off that. You know, I think that the thing that surprised me the most positively was really Kyle Trask. You know, you have a guy that you just don't really understand the body of his work just from a guy who just clearly just hasn't had the, you know, the starting opportunities. So I think him and that really true road test of Death Valley, you know, getting a full game, um, in a really hostile environment. I mean, it sounded loud through the TV, so I can only imagine there in person it was pretty loud. So I think that, you know, you come out and you throw for just over 300 yards. You go 23-39, just one interception. You know, I, I know it was a little bit of a forced throw, but, I mean, that was really the one bad play he made. So I think that was probably the biggest positive for me. Um, really, I, I think you have to give also a tip of the cap to Mullen's game planning as well. Whereas I thought the defense really struggled in the game, I thought the offense and, and you know, some of those play designs – um, you know, making sure to feed Kyle Pitts, you know, just getting him in opportunities to where he has success. I think that Mullen's game plan was really successful, too. So I think that that was a positive. Um, and, and really, again, you know, I, I mean, again, I, pr- I predicted Florida to get 17 points and they way overshot that. So um, I, I think that I was a little bit more pleasantly surprised with how the offense kind of hummed up with what Mullen was calling. Yeah, I thought, you know, we thought Dan Mullen would have to be patient to be able to have a great offensive game like that. And, uh, you know, obviously he was um, to some degree. And, and I think. You know, credit to Kyle Trask for being able to keep the game that close. I thought Florida really, really executed well early on, and Trask never seemed rattled. Uh, I thought he did an excellent job running the ball, even given the, you know, the gimpy leg. He he had a couple plays where uh, a couple times he didn't even necessarily get to the first down marker, but he gave that threat to where you had to worry about it. And then I thought I thought Florida's use of Emory Jones in this game was as good as it's been since we've seen Jones at Florida, I thought he really, really did a good job. You know, I was sitting right in front of um, a bunch of NFL scouts in the press box, and it was funny. As soon as Emory checked in for the first time, one of the scouts behind me goes, man, watch this guy, this quarterback. He's fast. He's fast. And sure enough, Emory goes and rips off like a 12-yard gain. And I think I think you can kind of see where the future of this offense is headed. I mean, if Emory Jones is able to do that running behind an O-line that, you know, really, for the most part, has struggled – He's going to open up some things within this offense that, you know, you really have a chance to work some defenses. But at the same time, Kyle Trask is playing so well. I think you legitimately feel good about this two quarterback platoon right now. I mean, Florida, to me, and and again, credit to Dan Mullen, like you said, uh, I thought the game plan was very good. Now, there's obviously always times within a game where you can question certain calls. And I thought the last drive before the interception down in the goal line, I didn't love it, you know. You have a third down dive play through the middle. Felt like kind of a wasted down to me. Um, you know, the trick play on first down got blown up from the start. But, you know, I thought given the way Kyle Trask was playing, maybe you just, you know, continue to line it up, try to hit one of those slants that Van Jefferson had been eating him up on all day. Um, but, you know, you're going to have those situations within a game. I thought for the most part in a in a super hostile road environment, Dan Mullen's plan was was really, really good. 
Um, Blake, I guess coming out of that game, there were obviously some spots that Florida got targeted, um, and maybe we can shift into you know talking more about some individual guys. But do you think there are some adjustments that Florida maybe even started to make in this game that that they could potentially tinker with going forward? I think the biggest one for me is just Trey Dean. You know, not even just this game. He struggled, and he was benched eventually, and they had to kind of switch some things around, move Wilson into the Nichols position, um, and, and throw Kyir Elam out at, at cornerback. So I think that that um, is probably something you need to look into moving forward. I just feel like Trey Dean is just playing just so out of position out of that nickel spot. And, you know, I think that – you're just—he's talented, and he showed he was talented in his freshman year. But I just feel like he's—he's he's in a spot where you can really get targeted if you're not—if you're just not the right fit for that position. And I think that that's just what we've seen out of Dean. Just—I mean, it's not even LSU. I mean, he was picked on against Towson. He was picked mm-hmm. on against a couple other teams. I just think it's time to start maybe looking into that. And again, I, I know that it's. Some of it is, you know, Florida probably would have cha- made a lot of change had John Huggins still be in the program, but obviously he's not. So. I think Huggins, when we've mentioned it several times on here, that he was a really good fit for that nickel position. So I just don't know that I see Trey Dean really being successful there. And I think that that, for me, is probably something that you need to at least start trying to shop around a little bit. Because Kyer Elam, I think, has shown enough that he, he can he can hold his own out there for being a freshman. So I think it's something to look into. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a case of how do you get your best five back there in the secondary. And um, I think, you know, Trey Dean has the potential to contribute somewhere in the secondary. I mean, he, sure. he's, he's a good enough player, has pretty good instincts. Um, but you know, we were talking about before the podcast, I didn't get a chance to really fully dive deep into the game on a rewatch the way I normally do just because of travel and some other stuff. Um, but I was kind of flipping through the condensed version of the game and, and kind of quickly watching plays. And it really just, it stood out to me in the first half. There were like three or four plays in a row where LSU was clearly going at him. And then, like you said, Florida moves Wilson inside and Kyrie Elam outside. Um, I, I don't think it's a case where trading is like, you know, awful i mean this is not right. this is not like a 2007 where it's you know jock rickerson getting burned every play or you know um you know wandy pierre louis kind of struggling it's not that but you know when you have a defense that has some answers at, at some of the other spots and you have a guy that's continually getting picked on and you have the flexibility to move some guys around given those freshman cornerbacks how well they've played and then even the fact that your safeties you know outside of brad davis and um, brad stewart and sean davis you know, you haven't gotten a ton of consistency out of the other guys. Maybe Trey Dean gets back there and, and he looks pretty good. So, yeah, I think that's a move they could maybe make. One of the other things that stood out to me quickly, um, Jacob Copeland, I thought, struggled a little bit in this one. You know, Florida, he had a couple catches. He had one really nice catch on the sideline for a, a first down conversion that was that was big. Um, but the thing that stands out to me is this has been a couple games now where you've seen him and Kyle Trask cl- clearly on opposite pages, you know, where Trask will throw a corner out and, and Cleveland either, either sits down on, you know, a curl or runs an in, something like that. So I think, you know, when people people talk about where's Jacob Copeland, where's Jacob Copeland, I thought you saw in this game some of kind of why he maybe hasn't gotten more snaps. I think you have to be able to really know the playbook, know the coverage, and hit those option routes right, or you're just kind of giving away a play. Uh, I thought C.J. Henderson, this was maybe not his best game. You know, he had one pass breakup in the end zone that was really good. He had a great stop on a third down. But he just hasn't been as quite as consistent to me this year. The tackling leaves a lot to be desired. Um, but, you know, there were some positives from an individual standpoint, too. I know you mentioned Kyle Pitts was really, really good. He continues to be a problem for everybody he faces. I thought for the second straight game, Michael P. Ryan was really pretty good. Um, you know, obviously he didn't put up the numbers that he did last week. And even last week, it was probably skewed by the big run late. Um, 
But looking at looking at the numbers, you know, 17 carries, 65 yards, not a great average. But again, there wasn't much there. And I thought when you're talking about how Florida was able to be patient and kind of stick with LSU in the first half, I thought there were several runs into, you know, just a loaded box. He runs into guys and then is able to slip out. That were really key. They at least somewhat kept LSU honest early on. Um, so those are those are kind of my takeaways, you know, when we're talking about the review of the game. Blake, I want to talk about this game from a big picture standpoint because we talked about it going in. Um, but even more so now that Georgia lost to South Carolina, you know, the East is very much wide up in the air. Uh, let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break. And when we come back on the other side of this break, we're going to break down where Florida stands in the big picture now at six and one couple games coming up that are going to be obviously very, very important. We'll get to that right on the other side of this break. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We're going over Florida's loss to LSU over the weekend. Uh, we've kind of broken down some of the areas where things went wrong, some of the positives for Florida that we were impressed with. Blake, let's get into big picture outlook. We talked about it before the game. Being that this was an SEC West game didn't necessarily uh, mean a whole lot in, in terms of Florida's season-long goals, chances to win the East and everything. But Blake... This was a closer game than maybe the final score indicated. You know, I know LSU ends up covering the two touchdown spread, but like we said, this was a game until middle of the fourth quarter when Florida makes a mistake. And even then, Florida had a chance to come down in the final two minutes, uh, got onto the doorstep of the goal line. If they, you know, if they're able to convert, punch it in for a touchdown, you got a chance at an onside kick. So Florida was right there with one of the top teams in the country. LSU's up to number two now. This is a team that clearly has some good answers all over the place. What is your big picture takeaway? I guess if I just ask it in in the most generic of terms, what's your big picture takeaway from this game? I think genuinely that Florida does have everything they want to attain in front of them. Obviously, we we mentioned this was an SEC West game. Um, Georgia struggling against South Carolina. Um, You know, everyone has kind of chalked Georgia up to be this unbeatable entity. And and mind you, they have done really well against SEC East opponents. I can't remember the streak that they had, but I know they had a really good one against just consecutive wins over SEC East opponents. So I think that Florida genuinely does have everything they want to attain in front of them. Um, And you could easily face this LSU team again in Atlanta if you you finish business and you handle things. Um, They obviously have to beat Alabama, and that's kind of been their their problem over the last several years. So, you know, I think that Florida does have everything in front of them that they'd like. Uh, Sure, they would love to win this game. You know, I think that when you see that Florida – kept it as closer of a game than maybe again I know they they the two touchdown spread was covered but I think that Florida really showed that 
they could hang with this LSU team if there wasn't a couple mistakes late in the game. Um, you know, who knows? Does Florida trot back out John Grenard and and uh, John and Zaniga um, later in the in the season? Maybe if they meet again, could it be a different game? Sure. I mean, we could play what if all we want, but I think that Florida showed that they. Um, you know, I, I think that Florida right now is the best one loss team in the country. I, I think that Notre Dame, I know they were closely ranked when the rankings come out, but I think I would have pegged Florida ahead of Notre Dame as far as one loss teams. Okay. Well, let me, let me ask it this way then, Blake, because we've talked about the loss, not necessarily meaning a whole lot. What would, what would a win in this LSU game have done for the Florida program? I, I just think it would have been a, a real statement win. I know Florida beat LSU last year, but this year, LSU just has been talked about in a different way, I feel like. You know, I think that this is the year where I've just seen people, I guess the same song and dance every year is that this LSU team is good, but they're not going to beat Alabama. I feel like this year it's a little bit of a different sense to where people feel like LSU can really give Alabama, you know, a run for their money in that game. So I think that a win would have just kind of put Florida into maybe a little bit more of a respected national contender talk. Um, I think even though Florida beat Auburn, um, a couple weeks ago, um, people just still weren't quite there on Florida. And I think that that win would have probably jettisoned them up to where people are really putting them up in that playoff contention. Um, they're really starting to love up Florida. And, you know, they missed the mark there. But I still feel like that Florida played well enough just from just some of the reactions I've seen through, you know, TV and, and just kind of scrolling mm -hmm. Twitter that I, I think Florida still got some respect despite losing this game. Well, that's the interesting thing to me. I think, you know, when you look at that Auburn game and, you know, Florida obviously beat a very good Auburn team. But they had a freshman quarterback in Bo Nix. They were playing in a hostile environment. You know, you look from the outside at that game, and Florida still turned it over four times. So there's all these reasons that you can say, sure. okay, you know, yeah, Florida got that one. But, you know, but. Okay. Right. And then I think when you couple that with this LSU game and put those two games together into context, I think the reason that you're seeing a lot of people give Florida the respect that we're talking about now that, that, you know, even though Florida didn't win, um, I think a lot of people are seeing, okay, that game plan from Dan Mullen was really good. Like, okay. Um, the Florida defense uncharacteristically took a step back, but you saw that. I think what you're starting to see is you're starting to see pieces on each side of the ball show their individual potential. Like last week you saw the defense and you saw how elite that unit can be when they're healthy when they're playing well and when they're locked in. This week we saw, okay, the, the Florida offense can go into a very hostile environment and can make it a game against the number two team in the country. So you're seeing these different things, and I think you're seeing that if Dan Mullen can put them all together at once, Florida's going to be a real problem in college football. And I think that goes back to recruiting, too. You know, as Dan Mullen continues to get his pieces in place, and is in if he's able to recruit at a high enough level to get you closer to those LSU's, those Alabamas, you know, those Georgias in terms of talent level, you're going to look at this Florida team and say Dan Mullen knows how to coach football, and he's going to be able to beat some of these teams, even if his talent isn't right on that level, but is you know within striking distance. And I think that that's probably the biggest takeaway from the, this LSU game that I think nationally is happening now is people are realizing Florida is not going anywhere under Dan Mullen, and that's why you're getting more respect. Yes, LSU covered the spread, but this game was a lot more respectable than it looked on paper, and Florida showed answers in some of the spots where thought people thought the question marks were the biggest. Florida's defense has potential. They're not always going to look as bad as they did against LSU, and again, I think that's where you tip your hat to LSU and say, okay, that is one of the best offenses in the country. I mean, that just is. Um, 
So I think more than anything, not being able to get a win at LSU, it doesn't necessarily hurt anything long-term. It doesn't hurt this season's goals or anything like that. But if Florida had been able to somehow pull out that game, this reboot would have really, really, really taken off and gone through the roof. And Florida hasn't quite gotten there. You know, they got they got to the 10 wins under Jim McElwain, but they never it never felt like they were close to the breakthrough. This actually felt like Florida was close to the breakthrough, I thought, for the first time. Yes, they lost the game, but I thought you can start to see sooner or later, Florida's going to get another chance like this in a big game like this. And sooner or later, they're going to win one of these. And then, you know, it's going to be kind of off to the races. I thought that's that was my biggest takeaway, you know, from this game was Florida is actually pretty close this time. Um, but, Blake, let's talk about the SEC East now because that's still wide open, wide open, very much up in the air. You know, there's there's no guarantee that Florida wins the East now. Um, there's no guarantee that Georgia wins the East now. I think it's it's wide open. Obviously, that game in Jacksonville is going to be huge. First off, let's talk a little bit about South Carolina beating UGA because obviously that's big because Florida plays South Carolina on the road this week coming off a brutal two-game stretch. So this is not going to be an easy one for Florida. Um, and then let me hear your thoughts as well on where Georgia stands and then maybe even is Mizzou a threat at this point given how they've played since that Wyoming loss? Yeah, you know, I think that when you look back um, – you know, I, before the season, I, I think it's just kind of everyone has always chalked SEC up to Georgia. You know, they're they're going to win it. Georgia's the better team, and and I, I started to kind of question Georgia's offense this year in that Notre Dame game. Um, it just wasn't. It just didn't really seem to click. I, I know they won. Um, their defense is playing well, and your defense is going to keep you in games if your offense is there. I mean, it's just that's how it's going to be. But I, I started to kind of see these struggles for Georgia offensively, and I, you know, they're starting to look a little bit more beatable. They're they're maybe not quite the team they were last year. Um, and, and I think that if you're Florida, obviously you have to get through South Carolina this weekend. Um, you, you can't look too far ahead because South Carolina is going to come in juiced off that big win. Um, you know, they're going to heal up and they, they should have Ryan Holiski back, their quarterback who was injured in that Georgia game. So he, he should be back for that game. So I think first you have to worry about and, and handle business with South Carolina. But Georgia is looking very beatable. And I think that if you have Dan Mullen out there um, and you have and you give him a bye week before that game, um, he's going to cook up a game plan. I feel confident in that. That gives Florida some extra time to kind of heal up, um, get some of these guys on the defense back. So, you know, I think that you have to like where you're kind of sitting right now if you're Florida heading into that Georgia game, but you have to handle business still. And again, you brought up a good point. Uh, Missouri is rolling. They're looking well, and that's been a team that's beaten Florida. Um, I can't remember how many times, but I mean, it, they just got their number every yeah, other year. Even since they I was came about to the say, SEC. I mean, I I know that they probably hold the series overall, probably maybe not by a lot, but I mean, they just seem to have Florida's number. So, um, if you have a game where you know Florida secondary has looked a little suspect at times, and Kelly Bryant's obviously going to air it out. Missouri has that really fun offense where they attack you pretty heavily through the air, um, but they also have a really good running game as well. Um, so I, I would say that, that they can really be dangerous as well. I think you have to watch out for Missouri too. Um, Florida just really has to really handle their business first and foremost this weekend. Um, see where you're at with Georgia, but Missouri, I think, has to be, you know, you can't forget those guys. Kind of, they, they always kind of seem to creep in the back corner um, and then just kind of come out with that win under your nose. So I think you you can't take them very lightly. Yeah, you know, I almost look at it, and, and listening to Dan Mullen after the game, I wouldn't be surprised if he looks at it the same way, but it almost sounded like Florida was starting a new season. Like he said, you know, coming, after, coming off the LSU game in Tiger Stadium, he's like, yeah, you know, we lost this one, but the next one's even bigger for us. And you're like, what? Like, okay, that was the number five team in the country versus the number seven team in the country with 
college game day in town. Like, how does it get bigger than that? But he's right. I mean, like like we said, Florida still has all its goals in front of it, and there's four SEC East games coming up now. So Florida has to find a way to hit the reset button and go in and, like you said, find a way to beat a South Carolina team that, you know, it's a noon game for Florida. Gators don't always play well at noon on the road. Will Muschamp is going to want to beat Florida more than anybody out there. Um, South Carolina. And if he wears his glasses, he's two and zero wearing his glasses. So I know I the readers, that, that man. Stat. The readers, yeah. It's, Professor uh, Muschamp is two and zero. He's drawing them up. Um, but no, I mean this, this is not a this is not a gimme game for Florida, given the injury situation. You know, you got to figure that Zaniga and, and Grenard are probably not going to be hundred percent for this game if they're even able to play. Um, and and I thought USC found some things with their third string quarterback as well, where they're running Wildcats. So. You, you know, Florida's defense coming off a shaky game, they're going to have to get it together very quickly. Uh, this is a game where Kyle Trask is going to have to continue to play well. I do think that Florida can win a shootout if it comes to that. Um, but this is not going to be an easy game. And um, the way the schedule sets up, I almost think that is, is, is most favorable for Florida to win the East if you can get through the South Carolina game. Because you're looking at the schedule. Like you said, you got the bye before Georgia. You feel pretty good about that. And then having Vandy in between the Georgia and Missouri games, sorry, Vandy, but that's a buy for Florida, too. Yeah, Playing glorified at, at home against Vanderbilt, that's a buy. okay? So you, you've got three tough games in the East coming up in the next five weeks, and you've got a little bit of a breather in between if you can get through the South Carolina game. So for me, the key is to, to, for Florida right now, got to get by South Carolina, first and foremost. That is number one. If you lose that game, all bets are off. You know, two SEC losses, you can't control anything at that point. But get healthy after that. Florida really, really has to have Grenard and Zaniga back for the Georgia game, I would say. Um, not that they can't win without those guys, but it's going to be a steep uphill climb without them. Um, and then Florida's just got to find a way to reset mentally right now, I think, after these two games. I think the Gators are beat up. You know, They're, they're frustrated because I think they felt like they could go into LSU and win. And credit those guys for having that attitude because – there's been a lot of times where, you know, Florida has gone into a game like that and said all the right things. This time, based on how they reacted after the loss, I really felt like they believed they were going to win. Like, there was a genuine sense of uh, those guys being pissed off that they had gone in and lost that game. Um, at the same time, they know they've still got everything in front of them. So, I think this LSU game, for me, really cemented that Florida's very close. Florida's very close. And I think the next step in that is making sure that you can go out there and take care of business. Because, honestly, if Florida wants to be an elite team again, it's like Dan Mullen said, all they have to do is decide that they want to do it and go out there and win the, win the games they're supposed to. That's all in front of them. Um, long term, Florida's going to get there, assuming Dan Mullen can recruit and get the, you know, get the kind of talent in the trenches where they need to be and get the depth at some of these spots where they're hurting right now up to par. If he can do that, Florida's got a good enough X's and O's coaching staff to not only get to where they want to be in terms of competing for SEC championships and getting into the playoffs, but Dan Mullen's going to be able to win some of these games once they get there. And I thought Saturday's game in Baton Rouge kind of proved that. If Dan Mullen's able to make a game like that against the number two team in the country now with the, the limited pieces that he has, just imagine what happens once he gets his roster in place and there's depth across the board like he had back in... 2006 back in 2008 you know florida is not that far away but they can't take a step back sure i think you hit the nail on the head with kind of the focus through recruiting um 
Mullen has shown that he can win some of these battles against some of these schools, these Alabamas and, and the Georgias. Um, keep hitting those guys. You know, keep using use these successful seasons. Um, if you can continue to kind of win games and show, you know, ten and two your first year, something respectable your second year. You know, if you if you build it, they will come. So I, I think that you can start winning some of these battles with the more victories you win. Um, you know, just the recruiting kind of leading up to here, there's been a lot to be desired. So I think that they've hit on some of their evaluations with some of these guys. You have to continue to keep developing them. I know that's that's kind of really been Mullen's bread and butter is kind of developing these guys. But man, if you can continue to get guys that you like, maybe, you know, there may be some lower rated guys, high, you know, low four stars, you know, three stars, whatever, if whatever they are. If you continue to develop those guys and mix in a couple of these four stars, you know, top two, four, seven guys, maybe even get a couple more of these five-star guys, start landing, you know, breaking the barrier there. Florida, it, it kind of speeds up their their time to where, you know, it, you're waiting for Florida to be back. I think that you're going to have to get back through the recruiting trail. All right, Blake. Well, that's going to wrap up our Florida and LSU breakdown. Uh, we will be back later in the week. Big game. Honestly, it's a big game. You know, we were looking at this South Carolina game two weeks ago and thinking, oh, boy, it's going to be an easy, you know, walkover win for Florida, and then they're going to cruise into the bye. That's not the case anymore, man. This this one is going to be tooth and nail for both of these teams. It's going to be a dogfight. And given where Florida's at in terms of, you know, being physically kind of mentally beat up a little bit, it's going to be a big challenge for Florida this week. We are going to be back later in the week after we have a chance to talk to Dan Mullen, talk to both coordinators and players. We'll get their take on kind of where they're at. And we will break down that matchup in Columbia this weekend at noon in our Thursday afternoon podcast. Hope to see you guys then. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.